welcome to the first episode of Acting Out. I'm Elizabeth Bliss, a BCBA and a co-host of the show. I'm Tyler Williams, a clinical supervisee and another co-host of the show. I'm Zach Stevens, a BCBA and the executive producer of the show. And I'm Jesse Stevens, the media coordinator and producer of this show. So, Tyler, what are we going to be talking about today? What's our topic? We're talking about ABA and the pandemic, the crisis of 2019 until who knows. I know, right? It feels like it's never going to end. I think when we started the idea of having the podcast, it was very much like encouraging because everything was on an upward trend and it looked like um, we were leaving this plague apocalypse, as I call it. And then now it's like the Delta variant has become something that's way more prevalent. There's a lot of political things going on. There's a lot of things happening in behavior analysis. There's the pandemic is no longer in the back of our minds. It's at the forefront of our minds again. So I'm glad it's a discussion that we're going to have today. Um, I think in order for us to fully appreciate where we have been and how we have grown as people who do ABA for a living, we have to understand where we started in the pandemic. So Tyler, for you, where were you when you discovered that this was going to be a problem? Um, I was just coming back from vacation. Um, I went to Colorado for a week and when I got back, like everything was just like catastrophic back in Tennessee. Um, like, I didn't know what was going on until I went to work the next day. Um, and then that's when the news came, like, there's a new pandemic, COVID-19, the coronavirus. Um, so, yeah, that's where I was. What about you? Um, well, we knew, we being my husband and I, always watched the news on YouTube. And so we were aware that there was a problem happening um, in Asia, but we weren't aware of necessarily how much it was going to affect us and I remember we had kind of talked about it and been like this is something that might affect us this is something that might affect our country um or even our continent but we didn't know how severe it was going to be and then we just kept watching and things kept getting progressively worse and worse and worse and then like first cases in the U.S. were popping up but I think where I was um I was at when I realized it was going to be like the magnitude of the issue that it is, I was at a client's house and I was actually doing a parent training and I had just um, stepped out because I was receiving a call from my parents and my parents were calling me over and over and my family's really good about understanding that like I don't have the kind of job where I can just pick up the phone and talk. Um, but they kept calling so I stepped outside and I was like, hey, what's wrong? Because I thought somebody had died. And my mom was like, Elizabeth, you need to you need to check out the news and I think you might need to go home because it's getting really scary. Like there's this pandemic and there's all these other things. And I was like, yeah, I know about the pandemic. She's like, no, like there's rumors that the National Guard are getting called out. Like you need to, you need to go home. And so I was like, okay. And so then I went home that night and we turned on the TV and then it was like, it felt like I was entering an alternate dimension. Do you know what I mean? Like, it felt like, I don't know if it was for like this for you, Tyler, but for me, it felt like I woke up and I was living one life and then I went home and I was entering into a completely new culture, a completely new world, a completely new 
universe in a lot of ways. Did it, did you have that moment or for you, was it just kind of cohesive? It was just cohesive, like for the time being, like when those, those first two months within the pandemic. Um, and then once that summertime started to hit, uh, that's when it got really bad because I am a person of like going out and doing things. And then of course the state shut down, uh, you were in isolation, you can't do anything. That's when it really hit me. Like, man, our lives are like changing for the worse at this, at this point. So, um, that's, I was, it was cohesive for me. We're talking about the pandemic. We're talking about where we started. We're talking about what it was like. And I was working in a clinic at the very beginning of the pandemic. You were not. So where were you working and like what changed for you during the very beginning? So we're talking like April, May, June, July of 2020 pandemic. I do com- mostly community in home and school. Um, so when the school system shut down, we were not allowed to go into the schools. Like no outside service provider was able to go in. Um, and then obviously the community was shut down. So I was mostly in the client's homes. Um, and when we went into the client's homes, we obviously had our precautions like temperature checks, hand washing, wearing our mask. Um, and that is something that we never routinely done. I mean, obviously there are the adaptive skills of hand washing, but that's not something that we do with every person that go like, Hey mom, can we get you to wash your hands? So, you know, everybody's Yeah, clean. you're not really wash worrying about like if a three year old isn't toilet trained and they're not in a position in their life where they're going to be toilet trained anytime in the near future, you're probably not teaching them hand washing because it's like, you have no reason. It's, it's not that it's not important. It's not that they don't need to be doing it, but it's not a focus. It's not a goal every day. Whereas exactly. like during the pandemic or, you know, during this experience, it's been like, well, you got to learn how to wash your hands. So we're going to wash our hands. This is what we're working on, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, as far as like the cleaning supplies, like my, my normal go-to bag to take into a house is my iPad, my computer and materials. And that was also... That changed. Um, it went to thermometers, disinfectant wipes, Germex, hand sanitizer. Like, it got to the point where I was carrying Germex around my neck on a little lanyard. Like, every little time I touched a doorknob, I would have myself hand sanitize and my clients. Um, I did something really similar. I put, um, you know how, like, they have the they have the hand sanitizers that have the elastic that, like, buttons kind of yes. I put that on my belt loop <laughs> and I would just be like squeeze 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 all the time I need to do that again that was actually a really smart idea yeah um and then far as like hours go my hours got cut um not as much as like other people that I knew that were RBTs or clinical supervisees whichever one you want to call it um but also me being in grad school I was able to work from home with like graphing data from you know adult clients and because uh, I don't see adult clients but I did need those hours for grad school so I was able to still work from home that's good I think for like from my perspective you know I trans I from like until speaking in the timeline of the pandemic so I when everything started in March 2020 and then through May 2020, I was working in a clinic. And then in June, um, I 
made the decision that I wanted to work in in-home, which was something that I had already been working towards. And the pandemic really affected that because in my head I was like, okay, I know this is something I want to do, but is it smart to make this transition from working in a clinic to working in in-home in this time period? Like, what is that going to look like? And, you know, for me, I had the conversation with my husband. I was like, I don't think this is going to end anytime soon. And I don't know that I want to continue to hold back on my long-term dream of working with, working in my hometown and working in my home counties and working with the population that I work on because it could, this could, there's no telling how long this is, this could last. So I, I made the transition from working at a clinical provider to working at the same company with you and working in an in-home community-based um, provider in my area. And, you know, you were talking about having to go into the homes and not being able to go into the schools and making all these changes. And I think for me, what happened was it was like, okay, I went from being in a clinical clinical environment to being in an in-home environment. And the exposure, there was a lot of more risks because the exposure increased because you're in someone's home environment. And then on top of that, behaviors that, there are different behaviors. Like there there are different aberrant behaviors or behaviors that you would like to reduce in different environments. And so things that in a clinical environment had the opportunity to be more sterile were more um, prevalent and in some ways more dangerous but simply because of the pandemic. I mean, I had an individual who was who engaged in spitting behaviors. And in general, like, okay, so you're going, like, that's, if that's the worst that happens to me in a day, then we're probably having a good day. But when there's a pandemic and you don't know that dad who works at a factory could have been exposed, but he has no symptoms and all this other stuff, I had to react in a bigger way. Like, instead of just being like, okay, you spit on my shirt, I'm going to change shirts. It's like, I have to completely change clothes. I have to wear a um, face shield. I have to wear glasses. Like I have to wear those things on top of my under, on top of already wearing my mask. And I look like an alien because here's this little child who's like, uh, I don't know who you are, but I do know there's an alien in my house now. So this is awesome. So just having to give these like bigger reactions to behaviors that I wouldn't normally react that large to was really different. And then, you know, you're talking about, like, changes in hours. Well, there were changes in hours because I'm a a consistent worker. Like, I like my job and I like being able to pay my bills. And regardless of any way that anyone was able to help us, like, there are just different times where you can't bill for something that isn't happening. And if you can't do telehealth if mom has COVID, like, that's just not a choice. You can't do... If you've been exposed or you might have COVID, yeah, you're giving therapy, but like, it's not, you're doing it via telehealth, but it's not the same level of therapy and it's not the same level of attention. It's that instructional control that you're lacking. Right. And you have to figure out how to get that through a screen. And that is difficult. Like, it is difficult. It's just hard. And, but what that is, I think one of the things that I got that benefited me through this pandemic was being able to generalize my skills and hone my skills and 
be way more flexible and way more adaptable than I ever was before. And, you know, I mean, that's just kind of was what it was like for me. When you say flexible and adaptable, um, that is something that I had already had uh, prior to the pandemic, just w- from working in home, because you're always working with the parent schedules or the teacher schedules. Um, you go in when you're able to go in. So I know like versus working in a clinic, you're you're open eight to five. So you yeah. have the, you have those clients from eight to five. When I was working at home, I sometimes didn't see a kid till five to seven. Um, it was rare that that happened, but the kid needed services, and that was the time that they were available. So, I I ran that session that at that time. <clears throat> um, and then you were talking about telehealth through the screen. I personally did not have too many experiences with telehealth, just for the fact that. Um, well, you're, you're not a BCBA yet, so there some insurance providers might not have allowed you to have that opportunity because it was like, okay, well, like specifically, I know that at that point in the pandemic, I don't have a TRICARE client right now, but at the beginning of the pandemic, TRICARE was like, you can do um, parent training. You can do telehealth, but it has to be parent training. It can't be RBT services. Okay. Um, so... Personally, we don't take TRICARE, so um, is what Right, ha- but just, just an example of what that was like. Right. Um, so but I do think the insurance companies that we do take, they did allow telehealth services for our the BCBAs. Um, being in grad school, I mean, I still had that opportunity to, hey, come sit in our telehealth session, and you can see, like, how this works. You can get some hours. Um, so I was able to observe it um, from the experiences that I did have parent training via a screen is the hardest thing to do because you like um for instance for example non-compliance like when you're when you have a kid that's in non-compliance for 45 minutes and you're trying to coach mom on what to do i I lost it like i couldn't handle it anymore i was like okay i'm just gonna sit back and watch take notes um but it's it was a rough. I know, like, to all the BCBAs out there that did telehealth parent training, like, through a screen, I give it to you because I cannot. Well, I think what you have to, what I hope you realize and what I hope, like, anyone who wasn't a BCBA at that time or might not currently be a BCBA is we, as a field, we're not, the BCBAs are not doing this by themselves. Like, we are all creating a community, and that might be a community through, like, message boards or Facebook or the BACB or through just like people in your neighborhood or your friends because once you kind of become I think once you get in a career like all your friends become the people in that career because that's the only people you see um but we all like we I have never felt like I was doing this by myself I've never not once because it's from the beginning of the pandemic we were building a community it was like okay you know, we're talking about telehealth. Well, we had people who were in Italy because it hit Italy faster and they they had to adapt sooner who gave telehealth presentations and that was incredible. I mean, on how this is what we're doing. This is what you, this is how you can use what we've know, what we've learned. Last year, you know, like Central Reach and Catalyst and like a lot of different places um, were giving out free CEUs because 
we didn't know when we were going to be able to get our CEUs. And also we were having reductions in hours. So it's like, well, how am I going to pay for these expensive CEUs and keep my certification and also feed my family? There's just a lot of things going on. So I think what I would like for you to know is, yeah, it was overwhelming to be a BCBA and it has been overwhelming at different times to be BCBA during this pandemic. But I can say for myself, like I've never felt like I was alone because I had, even at my previous employer, you know, there were, during this pandemic, I felt like I had the support most of the time that I needed. In my current place, I feel like I have all the support that I could ever need. And then I have very supportive friends who do this job, you and then other people who we all kind of go through this this together. So yeah, it's been a trial by fire because there's nothing this is going to I'm going into my third year. So in November I'll be a, it'll be my 3 years as a BCBA. A lot of my um, experience particularly at the beginning I was the first year of being a behavior analyst and that is a very overwhelming year. Like you think that because you take the test, like you it's not that I ever thought I knew everything, it's just that I thought I would be done being trained and for me that was not my experience and being trained can be exhausting so I was like going through that exhaustive experience on top of a pandemic and all these other things but what I can say the pandemic has taken so much away from me and so much away from us and so much away from in a lot of ways the field and research and all these other things but it's also given me I can talk to anybody about ABA because I had to I can figure out and be creative in my programming because I had to like it was adapt and survive because if you didn't adapt you were not going to survive just you just weren't and I had the support not everybody had but adapt and survive or you're not going to survive so when you become a BCBA I'm not going to give your test state but when you become a BCBA um you, you're not going to be doing this alone, even if the pandemic gets worse, even if we have to go back to all telehealth, even if, you know, half the country shuts down or the whole country shuts down, you're not going to be doing it by yourself because there's always going to be people there to support you. Oh yeah, I totally agree. Um, like my test site is coming up soon. Um, but I have talking to my supervisors and whatnot and they were like, just because you get if when you get that credential does not mean we're just going to turn you out there loose and you, you'll, you'll always have a connection like we're all we'll always be here for you so yeah i know i always have that connection and then um my my professors they're still you know hey contact us if you need anything but it's just i think it's a scary stressful time yeah. on top of the pandemic I, I just think the whole pandemic just adds like 30 more pounds of stress and it's yeah I mean I'm not gonna pretend like I don't because it does then oh but I was gonna ask you so what for you as a clinical supervisee and as an RBT has been the um most challenging like programming that you've experienced like what has been the hardest for you social skills social skills social skills yes okay why because what's so hard in a pandemic where you can't be when socially isolated how's it hard to teach social skills tyler because okay so <laughs> obviously you can teach social skills to anybody but when you as a 26 year old clinical supervisee it's hard to wow. converse to a 11 year old child about whatever that they deal with in life like i mean obviously i do like know some things about 
Fortnite or Super Mario Brothers, but there's only so many questions I can contrive about this game that another 11 year old can talk hours about and being in isolation. um, It's just the hardest thing to do. So, I mean, we were able to get like some FaceTime with a client and their friend, but even then, like they still have a phone in their hand and it's not the same as like sitting across from a table or, engaging in a conversation at lunch so it's just social skills were the hardest thing to teach um and i'm still struggling with teaching social skills because you can't see kids facial reactions because of the mask or you still have to be that six feet apart you know what i do miss is playing tag with the kids like and i'm saying like just going out to a park with um multiple of our clients and just like going to play tag and like that was our social skills group and that was just like the funnest thing in the world but we can't do that anymore I know that's I think that's the hard that's like for me teaching social skills has not been the hardest thing but I think in regards to what you're saying not being able to be as hands-on with the kids and not being able to be as like interactive with them in so many ways because you're literally trying to make sure you don't give them a virus that will kill them is kind of not necessarily the hardest part but definitely on the top top five. Oh yeah for sure um let's see okay so we talked about our challenging things to teach how did it affect you? You did you didn't ask me oh, you asked me. me my challenging things I thought you just said it being hands on no, I said that was for you, not for me. That was not my most challenging thing. Okay. You don't know what my most challenging thing is because you didn't ask. Elizabeth, what was your most challenging thing during the pandemic to teach? Um, Changes in routine. Oh, you're a person of, like, you're a rigid person. First of all, I'm not a change, I'm not a rigid person. I am super flexible and sure. But we're not talking about me. We're not talking about Elizabeth's personality. Don't be getting all up in that. That's nobody's business but mine. I ain't telling everybody on, I'm not telling all the BCBAs or ABA people my business. Nobody needs to know if I'm rigid because I'm not. I just like certain things a certain way and that's my business. Okay. But the point, (laughs) no, but it was hard for me to teach changes of routine to my clients because they, why was because they were, because I couldn't prepare them because there was no end date. Like a lot of times when you teach changes in routine, you can be like, okay, so this is going to be different, but there will be an end date. So for example, like I have a specific person that I work with who really is loves school more than anything in the world. And it's like spring break is really hard for them because they like that social interaction. You know, not everyone wants to be their friend but they know that when they go to school they hang out with their teachers and they hang out with their friends so spring break and fall break and those things are difficult well this person went to spring break and then it never ended and then they were like consistently they also perseverate on future events so it was like all right well school 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 and I'm like I literally sometimes I I am always when I'm at work I'm always a BCBA sometimes my actual personality comes out and it's like girlfriend I don't know when you get to go back to school and I am so sorry because when you're working with someone who has an intellectual disability who struggles with changes in routine 
you can't have the same conversation the same way as you would have with a person of their same age who did not have an intellectual disability even if that person struggled with changes in routine so that was the hardest thing for me was seeing was teaching changes in routine and not only that watching these kids have all the good things in their lives stripped away from them and never knowing if they're if when they'll get it back or if they'll get it back that was the hardest part because I can't I can teach you adaptability and I can teach you flexibility but I can't teach you how to not be lonely like I, that's not a skill that I, I can't teach you that I can't teach you I can teach you a certain level of coping skills but I can't be there at two in the morning when you're crying because you don't get to see your best friend and your best friend is nonverbal. And so you can't talk to them and they can't afford an iPad. So you can't look at each other. I can't teach you that. I think that was the hardest part. And then also parent training was really difficult, but parent training was really difficult because sometimes parent training looks like your whole house is completely trashed and it's completely trashed because you have four children all living in this house. Your husband lives out of state and he can't come home from his job that requires him to live out of state. So we're going to work on independent skills and these independent skills are going to have to be something that benefits you. So it's like girlfriend's got to learn how to do the dishes because the dishes haven't been done in a long time and mom can't do them. That was yeah. hard. Trying to come up with like these different scenarios and trying to make everything be actual because that is I hope I'm not like over explaining, but that is the hardest part of all of it. It's like trying to create these programs that accept changes in routine, also benefit the client, but also benefit the parent because in a lot of ways the parent is also my client. And trying to do all these different separate little things and then also on top of it, like Family members who were never in the house are now in the house full time and explaining to a 13 year old why they can't scream at their sibling and they have to follow this behavior plan if they want the sibling to stop doing X, Y, and Z is kind of difficult. Yeah, I can see where that comes in because I mean, even as a person that does not have an intellectual disability, changing routine, it was hard. I'm not saying like I'm rigid, you know, like I'll have a meltdown if I don't, you know, have my coffee at nine o'clock in the morning. But, um, like, so, like, um, for example, so I would go to work at nine, I would work from nine to 12 and then I get a text at like 12, like I'm expected to work a whole day. And then it's like, Hey, your, se- your sessions for the afternoon has been canceled because a parent has been exposed. So, um, and I'm not just, knowing that. Yeah. And like, when's the next time I'm going to see this kid? Um, but speaking of that, like, how did you handle like precautions with parents or exposures with parents like if they were exposed how did you handle that um to be honest I just did whatever Zach told me to do (laughs) so for those of you who don't know um we work at the same company that Zach owns and operates and so I just I, I say I just did whatever Zach told me to do but in all honesty like we followed CDC guidelines and then we used our own judgment and then we had a lot of conversations at the company um, and then also just a lot of conversations, I say, with Zach as the employer but also just as a fellow BCBA and a lot of risk assessments and a lot of conversations. And I honestly was just probably too honest and I would just, you know, I, 
I am just like, okay, well, your child has been exposed and I want to keep your child safe and I want to keep myself safe. So because I want to do that, I'm giving you the option of telehealth. Um, some, tel- some people say no and they've like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm like, okay, well, we're going to follow CDC guidelines and this is what we're going to do. Um, if it was like a possible exposure for the longest time, we've just treated that, particularly before I was vaccinated, I treated that as like a guaranteed exposure. If you tell me your kid has a hundred degree, 103 degree fever yesterday, I'm not coming to your house, even if COVID wasn't a thing, but I'm definitely not coming to your house now. So it's like, I'll do parent training with you via telehealth. You call me if there's a problem, I'm available to you, but I'm not coming in there. That's been my guideline. Um, in regards to like, you know, certain aspects of the pandemic are political, whether we would like for them to be or not. Um, there are a lot of different opinions. Some people are pro-vax, some people are anti-vax, some people are pro-mask, some people are anti-mask. Um, I personally, as a human being, am extremely pro-science, so I am very pro-mask and I'm very pro-vaccine. And if my clients and their family members choose not to do that, then that is um, that is completely their choice. It is not my, as a BCBA, it's not my choice, but I do have to be aware of that in the risk assessment that I, that I'm doing on whether or not I can come in their house. Okay. So you're talking about wearing masks and I think that's where I think it, more of the regional directors came into play with like what to do when it came to exposures with parents. So I didn't really have to deal with parents that much, um, when it came to exposures, so Echo, my clinical supervisor, um, so she would handle that. But um, wearing the mask is where I think it drew the line. Like, hey, if you don't follow this, we will have to like not terminate services, but you will be like put on hold for two weeks until we know like what your outcome is. So and I think that upset parents like it's it's my choice if I want to wear a mask or not while you're here because it is my house. I understand that to an extent, but like I'm still coming into your home to provide services for your your child. You could at least like respect me, like, because your kid is not the only one that I see. Like I'm going to six different kids a week, and we all go over the place. And like you said, like a parent could work in a place where they're asymptomatic and they they can pass on COVID to somebody. Um. So I was just curious to know how you handled it or was it like a company-wide thing, but, um, but yeah. It is difficult because, you know, we have both experienced like losing people to this disease or losing people to this virus. And so for me, trying not to take it personally, um, when people tell me that it's not real and I'm at work and trying not to take it personally when people are speaking really poorly um, has been really difficult just to be completely transparent. I mean, if we're going to do the podcast, we might as well be honest. That's really hard because, you know, in my personal life, not everyone that I love um, takes it as seriously as they should. So you have to make a lot of hard choices and those choices aren't understood because I think of it as like a value system, like their Mm -hmm. values don't align with my values in that I value science and I value um, the truths that are told to me by people who are qualified professionals who have been studying these things their entire lives. And I have to, I, 
I love the people that I love. So I deal with that in my personal life. Um, and in a lot of ways, when you have things like that going on in your personal life, it's nice to go to work because then you don't have to, you don't have to deal with that in your work life. Um, but unfortunately, because this pandemic has become such a controversial, politicized global event, I do have to deal with that at work. And that is really hard and it's really stressful and it makes me angry. Um, it's really difficult when I have to hear people say, you know, save the children. Well, I would love to save the children. Can you please do these things to help me save the children? And they say no. And that's hard. Um, or when they say, oh, well, yeah, I'm sorry you lost a family member, but you know, they had a pre-existing condition. And it's like, okay, well, thanks for letting me know that your values don't align with mine. And so... I'm just going to make sure to try to stay away from you as much as I can. Don't talk to me in the grocery store because I'll talk to you at work, but I don't really want to talk to you at the grocery store because that's my personal life. I don't want to talk to you if you see me at Kroger. <laughs> but that's that's how it's been. No, I completely understand that. Like you said, we both lost, we've lost people that we love and care about. Um, and then that goes into like, okay, how did the pandemic affect you socially? Not, not to work, but outside of work. Like, how did that like as just as like a human yes did you feel like more of because <laughs> i feel like i'm a bcba on one side and i'm a human on the other <laughs> well yeah because i mean personally for me like i was doing fine until august september because i actually got covid um yeah and then i was asymptomatic like i didn't know anything um and then like one day i was just like i thought um uh, i just woke up with a really bad headache um, but I'm, I'm prone to having headaches, especially on Mondays. And it was a Monday and I woke up and I was like, yeah, you know, this doesn't feel right. So I went to go get tested and I came back positive. Um, and then actually two weeks later, uh, my dad died. So, um, so yeah, COVID has taken a, an effect on me. Like, like I'm, a, I'm a mask wearer. I'm pro-vax. Um, my whole car is full of like sanitizing wipes <laughs> and stuff. Shout out to Echo if you're listening because she just gave me, she restocked my whole car. Um, but yeah. She's awesome. Yeah, but how does it, how did it affect you socially and personally? I mean, well, I got medicated because I was like, I cannot do this. <laughs> I, um, to be really honest, it was like the pandemic was like happening and I realized that I had a problem and I'm okay backing up you know and I know that we've talked a lot about your loss so I don't mean to go into something where I'm laughing after your loss after you tell me about your loss but you know you and I know so all right moving on we um I got medicated because my husband came home and my husband is not the person that when I say like people that I love, my husband is pro science, pro vax, pro mask, the whole thing with me. So that's not the person I'm talking about. But whenever I, um, he came home and I was on the back porch and I was scrubbing the back deck because there was nothing left in the house to clean and or wash. And I was scrubbing it with bleach and soap. And he was like, are you okay? <laughs> He's like, I think you're, he's like, are, are you stress cleaning? And he just looked at me with these very cute, big blue eyes, like, 
okay. And I was like, oh, this is not normal. <laughs> Which it's not. And I was like, I can't do this. So I made a doctor's appointment and I got put on anti-anxiety medication because I was like, I can't do this. I cannot do this unmedicated. It was not going to happen. Um, so that's what I have done. But in addition to that, I also... I just I just stopped going anywhere. Like I don't I didn't go anywhere. I just I don't know. I got hobbies. Like I paint now by numbers because I can't paint well, but I can paint by numbers. So I paint and I learned how to embroider. And wait, I, you embroider? Uh, we, I mean, not well, but I do. Okay. After like by hand embroidery. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no, I know what you're going, I know where this is going. You're like, Elizabeth, can you make me something? And the answer is yes, but it's not going to look good. Like, (laughs) I can make you whatever you want. Um, I did that. I missed, um, I missed a lot of family stuff because, like I said, there are people that I love who, um, have different opinions and that is perfectly fine, but they have different opinions. So when our values didn't align, I wasn't able to go to events because, Ultimately, like, we lost my husband's uncle, and I didn't want to put my husband in a position where his wife was taking any more risks than necessary, so I missed some family stuff, I missed some friend stuff, and mostly it's just been me and my dog and my husband and the garden that we grow now, because that's a thing. I can grow a beautiful tomato. So I got hobbies. That's what I did. What did you do? Like you, a lot of times you'll ask me a question and then, then you like kind of answer it and you don't really answer it. So why don't you really answer it and tell me how your social life's changed? I didn't have a social life. Um, Yes, you did. I worked with you. You have friends. Okay. So, okay. Prior to the pandemic, yes, I had a social life, but like during the pandemic, I did not have a social life because one yeah, so that's how your pin. That's how this. Yeah, that's how it changed. So tell me, what was it like before? And what was it like during the pandemic? Okay, life before. I will hold your hand through this. Are you ready? Okay, hold my hand. Okay. Okay, I'm holding his hand. You can't see it, but we're holding hands through the screen. Um, so prior to pandemic, yeah, I would go out, have fun, go to the movies, like, go have some drinks at the oh, bar, geez. and you know, the typical twenty-something-year-old, whatever you would want to do. Um. During the pandemic, when the pandemic started, vacations were cut off. Uh, I did not hang out with my friends as much as I wanted to because, like, we're all, like, all of my friends are pretty much the same. Like, hey, stay away. We we don't want this. Um, Yeah. Grad school was a thing. So. uh, You were in your own quarantine, even if there wasn't. Yeah. So I guess, I guess that's school. how I managed to 3.9 for grad school because of the pandemic. Oh, I like how you, like, brought in that little brag. You deserve it. Good job. Um, but, yeah, I started making, like, decals with the, what is it, the circuit machine? You know what I'm the talking cricket. about? The cricket. Isn't it a cricket? Is it a cricket? Is it a circuit, not a cricket? I don't know. Anyway. Jesse, do you know? What is it? Jesse is our produ- is one of our producers, and she's going to tell us what it's called. It's a cricket. Yes, I was right. Okay, so the cricket machine. I've started doing that. Um, playing the t- Nintendo Switch. Like, okay, during like, was it? We had a huge snowstorm here, and I literally this went, year. Yeah, so this I year. I went out in twenty twenty one. I went out in the snow to buy a Nintendo Switch because one, all of my sessions were canceled. 
too. I was tired of the pandemic. So I went out in the snowstorm and I bought a Switch and I've been playing the Switch. So I like it. I watched a lot of Harry Potter. A lot. Over and over and over and over and over again. Because I decided that if the world I lived in sucked, I was going to disassociate and pretend I was a witch. It worked for me. It is okay. <laughs> You're Ravenclaw. Okay. I know. I am a Ravenclaw. We'll talk about this another time, too. I'm sure we will. I'm sure it'll come up again. Okay. I'm going to ask. This is not planned, but I'm asking Zach and Jesse. How did your social lives change? Well, I mean, I already worked from home for the most part. So, uh... I, um, I saw fewer clients, of course, um, did a lot of telehealth consulting. Um, suddenly I was in meetings all day, every day. That was weird. That wasn't, I, I don't know. I didn't have meetings that often. I didn't think. And then all of a sudden I had meetings every single day, uh, actually work got busier. And in the, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, my day to day involved doing everything I could to figure out how to get you guys to continue to be able to work and to steer the ship and protect everybody and get emergency funds from the government and all those kinds of things. So work became my social life. Uh, But I would be at my desk by 730 in the morning and I would be at 330, you know, my eyes would start rolling into the back of my head. So I would, uh, you know, I have... I grew a garden, like you said. Now it's the thing. I have a garden with vegetables in it. Uh, and uh, I started cooking a lot. And um, I taught myself how to play piano. And I filled my free time as best as I could. Um, but I think in general, uh, like everyone else, you know, my you know mental health suffered a lot. Um, we didn't see friends very often. Maybe we had some friends that would drive by and drop some... Uh, candles off at the doorstep or flowers and it was just really kind of them and uh, we sometimes would do that too um but you know there was not there was not a lot of socialization or anything like that for the better part of a year uh, until we got vaccinated um yeah that was that was my experience I wanted to ask you because you on top of all this you are a business owner like you are not only a BCBA you're not only, you know, the executive producer of this amazing podcast we're starting, you were a business owner of an ABA company. And so for you, you know, you talked about how this like created, you had to fill up your time and you started being at your work at 730 in the morning. Was it for you, did you feel a sense of responsibility and panic or was it just the drive to keep us going like what was that if you feel like sharing like what was that like for you in a more concrete way um i mean my number one priority was absolutely protecting you guys you know um because i I wasn't seeing clients uh regularly um in person rather and i didn't need to so um i wasn't really that concerned about myself um, my wife works in a hospital, so I was really concerned about her. Uh, but because of the safety precautions that were in place, she was really safe, although we had a few exposures, no big deal. Um, I spent the majority of my time trying to figure out how to keep you guys safe, how to keep everybody at work, um, and just making sure that I reached out to everybody pretty regularly to check on them and just say, hey, 
are you doing okay? Is there anything I can do? Do you want to talk about stuff? Whatever. Just because I felt like, I mean, not that it was my obligation, but that I felt, um, I felt like if I offered that to my colleagues that I would also have the opportunity myself to say to my colleagues and friends, hey, I'm having a tough time too, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of, that was my experience then. And let me just add two things to this. Like when you have a boss that can reach out to you and just be like, hey, how are you? And they tell you that they're having a bad, just as a bad time as you are. That is like the best thing in the world because you're seen as equals on that, like a mental health level, I guess you could say. And then um, when Zach sent out that essential letter to like put in our cars so we wouldn't get like pulled over, I knew that shit was real. Like, I mean, (laughs) I wasn't working with him, but I got the same thing at a different company and I was like, oh boy. And yeah, so like I laminated that shit and I put it in my car and I was, I was, I was ready. It's like, sir, what are you doing out on the road? Do you realize we're in lockdown? I'm an essential employee. But it never happened. You didn't know. <laughs> you didn't know if it was gonna happen. And it was like, oh, we're essential. That was the weird part. Is it was like, cause you hear like your whole the whole time you're going through supervision, the whole time when you become a behavior analyst or an RBT or whatever, it's like you're in, you know you are a medical service. You're like medical insurance pays for this. You are medical. Like, no, you're not doing blood transfusions, but you are improving people's lives. Like you're doing all these things. You're like, oh yeah, I'm medical. It is one thing to hear that you're medical. It is a whole other thing to have the government tell you you're an essential worker. That is a whole other thing. Because I was like, I didn't know that, yes, what we do is a big deal. Yes, what we do is important. And there are different levels of essential worker. I am not trying to sit here and say that I'm on the same level as a life-saving doctor or nurse or any of those things. What I'm just trying to say is it's like, it's one thing to hear that and know that like, oh, we're medical. Yeah, da, da, da. It's a whole other ball game for them to be like, the government to be like, you don't get to stay home. You're essential. Go to work. And you're like, yes, Uncle Sam, I will Excuse do me. my best. <laughs> Mind if I interrupt you? Go for it. Um, I would say that largely behavior analysts and the ABA field decided that they were essential workers. Um. I don't think that the government uh, made that delineation. We just felt like because what we do uh, is based on medical necessity, that we had certain clients that would possibly be harmed by a lapse in services. Um, And so we made the determination that we were essential workers because we were providing a clinically necessary service or a medically necessary service. So, so in one more way, we, we we policed ourselves. I didn't recognize that. Y- Not policed ourselves, but more, what would we, be the right term for that? Um, we just, we made that distinction because what we do for families, um, not just individually the clients, but the impact of our services with our clients um, on their families is so important um, and, and sometimes... Um, you know, we don't even realize how important, you know, uh, we just made the determination then that we needed to continue to provide services throughout. So mostly I would say in the community, RBTs became our essential workers. Um, and, you know, obviously our graduate students and our trainees, but, you know, uh, the way that we did it, um, some of our BCBAs were able to provide services by telehealth while the RBTs were in person 
Um, and then, you know, when it was plausible, we provided parent training and other consultations by telehealth. But then the things that were really necessary to be done hands-on in person, we took all the precautions you guys discussed. And we just, like the essential worker letter that Tyler referenced, somebody suggested it to me um, because I didn't have the foresight to say, you know, I should send my staff out there into this because I was afraid to be in with people. I didn't want to get sick, you know? So I didn't want to put that on anybody else. But when it was suggested to me by one of you guys, uh, I said, you know, how do I do this in the safest way? And then, you know, we had whole teams of people that just continued to do everything they could to stay safe. Um, And I think a lot of it just took collaborating with parents, collaborating with other professionals, making sure that, you know, we did everything we could. And I would say largely that paid off because very few people had any large gaps in services or missed out on services as a result. Yeah, I would agree. I think this is an excellent um, conversation that we can have, we can expand upon in another episode because I think like, you know, Zach, you and I've discussed and I've discussed a little bit with Tyler, our RBTs are so much more valuable than they get treated sometimes. And I'm glad that we as a field or even just us as individuals who can hopefully put forth and make a difference as behavior analysts um, can recognize how valuable their work is, not just because we were ones, but also because sometimes people get obsessed with hierarchies and we forget what it takes for us to be able to do our jobs. Because we could, I could not do this without having... I could not have done this. You could not have done this. The company could not have survived. No companies could have survived without RBTs. Right. You don't have an RBT currently though, right? I don't, but I don't, I did at other companies um, at other times. Okay. So, but I, no, right now I do not have an RBT because I'm living in the land of building it from the ground up in a county with minimal ABA services. And when you do that, you can't, you got to build it from the bottom up. In a future episode, you can expect us to discuss providing services in rural communities. Yes, which is my heart. I love it. Okay, so one more person. Jesse is not a BCBA. She is not an RBT. Um, But, you know, she is essential to us. So let's talk to Jesse. How did your life change? Well, I live in New York City, so for the first month of the coronavirus, March, the middle of March 2020 till the middle of April, uh, I was in a very dark place, and it took four weeks before I was like, I got to get out of here. I was alone in my apartment. I did not see a single soul. I didn't step outside. I didn't see the sun on my skin. And then I flew down to Florida. I stayed with my parents for two months. And I saw the ocean. I saw the sun. I saw two smiley faces. And that's about it. And as soon as I came back to New York in July, I went back to work in the office. So I didn't start seeing anybody until that time, until the middle of July is when I first started you know, seeing my friends again. Um, I wouldn't say it was social. We did one little outdoor barbecue um, 
and then again in August. So once a month, maybe. Um, it definitely changed because pre-pandemic, I was with my friends every single day. After work, we would meet up at a bar, a restaurant, whatever, um, or something. We would hang out at someone's apartment. I was always with people. Um, so it definitely was a, I guess, a culture shock because um, I retreated. And I'd, I say I'm still sort of retreated. I'm doing more social things, but I'm definitely home a lot more than I used to be. Um, I read about 104 books. Um, it was the only hobby that I had. Now I am a plant mom. I have a switch very new to me, but I've definitely put in a lot of hours on that switch in the last week. Um, <laughs> so I've got all these new hobbies. I'm back in the office three days a week now. Uh, so things are getting back to normal, except the Delta variant is running rampant in the city. So we're still, I'm at least still wearing my mask everywhere. And I try to only see people who are vaccinated. If they're not really comfortable sharing that with me, I just say, all right, I'll catch you at the next one. So that's just personal decisions that I've made. And a lot of my friends have made the same decision. So I'm comfortable with my friends because we're all on the same page. We've got the same values. Yeah. I think that's kind of been the big thing in ABA, but then again, also just as collective human, you know, as people in other careers or just as human beings is you just have to kind of do constant risk assessments and make sure you're doing what is going to match your values because ultimately like you have to protect yourself and you have to decide what that looks like. So, well, thank you guys for sharing. Um, one of the things that just to transition, one of the things that Tyler and I had talked about what we wanted to do in this first episode um, would be we wanted to talk about the people that we lost and we wanted to dedicate this to them and to their loving memory. So Tyler, would you like for me to go first or would you like to go first? Uh, you can go first. Okay. Um, if I sound like I'm crying, it's because I probably am, but it's fine. So um, last year in September, September 2020, we lost um, my husband's uncle and his name was Nicky Rabby, but we called him Nick. So Nick Rabby. And he was a lot of things. He was strong and he was opinionated and he was kind and he was literally a sailor at different points of his life and he talked like it. Um, he would not want me to come on here and pretend, from my understanding, um, he would not have wanted me to come on here and pretend like he was an angel because he wasn't, but he was a good man and he was a loyal man and he was kind and he helped me and he helped my husband when we were both in really bad mental health places and he was probably one of the best men that I've ever known and I wish I had told him that but I didn't um but now I can tell all of you because he he was a good man and so I just want to remember him and I want to remember all of the positive things and I he deserved better but I'm so glad that he's not suffering anymore and I'm glad that we got to talk and that he got to come to our wedding and that I got to know him because some people in life you get to know and it's just an honor to be in their presence and it was an honor to know him and it was an honor to love him 
and I will always be grateful for that. Rest in peace, okay. Nikki. Uncle Nick. He Uncle Nick, sorry. Called him. Only family got to call him Nicky. Nick, Nicky. He did not like that. So let's just wrap that one up real quick. He's going to come back and haunt me, and I'm not going to be happy about it. Um, so very similar to Elizabeth's story. My dad died in 2020 um, for from COVID. Um, like, we did not see it coming at all. He was actually on the upward end in the hospital, and then... One late night, we get a call. It's like, hey, get to the hospital as soon as you can. And by the time we got there, it was too late. Um, so we, we weren't able to say our goodbyes. But I think deep down, he knew that we loved him and, like, he loved us. And, um, but, yeah, like, I'm grateful to, like, to have spent 27 years, or no, excuse me, 26 years with him. Um, and then two weeks with him before he died. Uh, my dad was a bragger, so I can probably hear him now. <laughs> like, oh, my son has a podcast. Go listen to it. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, he's definitely missed thinking about him every day. And everything I do is like for him. Because um, he's like, always go and chase your dreams. And that's what I'm doing. I'm going to chase my dreams. So, What was his name? Clifford Williams. I'm going to call him Mr. Williams. So, No, I called him Pops or Dad or Cliff. Cliff for short. This podcast, this episode particularly, is dedicated to Cliff and Nick. And in addition to everyone else who should be here. So we love you and we miss you. And we'll remember you forever. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to the first episode of the Acting Out podcast, ABA in a Pandemic. We, um are going to do something really quick. It's called show and tell. And it's where we all say one, maybe two things that we're doing to survive the pandemic real quick. I'm listening to podcasts. Tyler, what are you doing? I'm studying for my exam. Zach, what are you doing? Playing piano. Jesse, I'm going to take a wild guess that you're reading books. Nope. She's playing the switch. I'm doing both. She's doing the switch and she's reading books. Cool. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. Don't forget to act out with us. Bye.